Hello, everyone, and welcome to Debating Metal, the podcast where we talk about all things hard rock and metal. This week, we're going to talk to you about albums from bands you haven't heard, but should. There's some bands that unfortunately fly a bit under the radar and deserve a bit more attention than they're getting or got while they were still together. Today, we're going to talk about some of those bands' best albums and bring them to your attention. But first, the formalities. If you enjoy the show and want to hear more, click the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform and get the show on your phone, your tablet, your PC, or whichever device you like every week or thereabouts. We also want to interact with you guys and read your opinions, so if you like what we have to say or just want to rip us a new one, send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com or DM us on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We're also now on YouTube, so be sure to subscribe and ring that YouTube bell to be alerted each week when we drop a new episode. All right, so this week I think we're going to forego Rusty Metal since it kind of kind of clashes with our main topic this week. So um, this I'm just going to go over uh, briefly my freshly forged pick, which is Torn Arteries by Carcass. Um, I I've never been the biggest Carcass fan, but I kind of got back or kind of got into them around the time that they released uh, Heartwork. Um, I liked some of the stuff they've done since and before, but it just wasn't like one of my top bands. But I definitely wanted to give this a listen. I had heard uh, Kelly's Meat Emporium off of this. All the tracks have like these really interesting names, so I, I thought it was really interesting. But I I heard a couple of tracks just on uh, like. Uh, Google, uh, not Google Music, YouTube Music, um, just kind of what in mixes that were playing, and I was like, man, this is not bad. So I went ahead and checked out the whole album. Um, a couple of the standout tracks that I heard were "Under the Scalpel Blade." I really like that one. That I believe that was the first single they released. Uh, "In God We Trust," I think, is my favorite off of the album. It, it wasn't a single, but I think it's a really good track. Um, you know, it's it's the same guys that have been going this whole time, uh, Jeffrey Walker and uh, Bill Steer. Uh, the only thing that I kind of found that I didn't quite like was I felt like the drums maybe were a little bit too far back in the mix. Like they weren't they weren't very powerful, and I thought that was kind of a, a missed opportunity because overall the tracks are really good. Uh, I think the only track that really kind of pushed the drums a little bit more forward and and utilized them well was in God We Trust, and maybe that's kind of why that track stood out to me so much. But um, definitely check out this new album by Carcass. Um, it's it's you know kind of in the same vein of stuff they've done before. It's not quite what they were doing, you know, with hard work, but um, the band's still doing well, and and uh, it's a good album. Is is that the album that had that funny album cover that you and I were talking about? Um, the, did it just recently came out or like a couple it months ago or something? It just came out. Uh, the the singles had been released all the way from 2019 because this, this album was supposed to come out in 2020, but because of the pandemic, it got delayed. So the first album, I mean, the first uh, single came out in 2019 in December, and then they released uh, three more starting in June, August, and September. So it, it just came out um, you know, a few days before we're recording this. And um, yeah, it has that that album cover that's like a heart 
that's yeah. made out of uh, peppers yeah. and that's the one I was thinking about. Yeah, because I remember it was it was a kind of weird album cover. Well, yeah. I mean, it fits right in in the vein of all their album covers. If you go back and look, like Surgical Steel is is like a circle made out of uh, like surgical tools. Yeah, I thought I thought that was the the the, the band we were talking about. No, that that was the album cover with the with the heart and made out of peppers. Mm-hmm. Really so. cool art. Interesting. Yeah, yeah it is. It's very cool. All right, so. Um, this week we're talking about bands that you haven't heard of, or you haven't heard in a while, or you don't know who the hell they are, and they've got some pretty good albums that we think you should be listening to. So this is like um, this is almost like an episode of our segment we used to do many many months ago called "You Should What uh, What Should You Be Listening To," and this is like a, a big blown up version of that. And we're gonna pick three albums each for for this uh, episode, and I think you should go first since this was your idea. <laughs> okay. Um. So the first band that I picked is one called Rain Time. Um. They are an Italian band. They're from uh, Pordenone, Italy. I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but forgive me if I, I failed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I picked their second album, Flies and Lies. Um, so they were originally a progressive power metal band, and they had some kind of like death metal sound to them. But the first album was definitely more progressive, whereas this is a more of a melodic death metal sound. Um they have a really similar sound to soil work or in flames. And, um, the kind of big difference is they, they kind of picked up on that sound that they, they had in the two thousands. So we've, we've in previous episodes, we had mentioned in flames. We talked about, uh, two of their albums prior to, to the year 2000. And this is kind of more of their sound after 2000. And, I guess as time has has gone on, I've kind of lightened up a little bit more on that sound because, um, you know, I I think it was it's one of those things like you realize that bands evolve and change, and so like this band kind of picking up on that sound, it is a bit different. It it is more progressive as like instrumentation. Um, so it's not it's not quite the same. But if I think if you're a fan of of the of those bands that I mentioned or at least uh, of the Gothenburg sound from that time period uh, you'll definitely enjoy this. Uh the singer is named Claudio Coasin. Um he has really excellent clean vocals and I listened to both albums so I listened to the first album and the second and um and that's that's unfortunately all they ever released but um his Death metal vocals really improved from the first to the second album, um, so it, and they're much more understandable. I would say, like you can you can really make out all of his lyrics, uh, which is I think something that really puts off some fans of the genre, where they're they're just not as into the vocals if they can't understand what they're saying. Um, I think you've kind of mentioned that in the past. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it, it. It is what it is when it comes to that. Sometimes it's weird for me because sometimes like the music really grabs me, mm-hmm. and I don't really pay attention to the lyrics. And then there's other times where the vocals just are so disturbing to me or just so, so annoying that I I I, I get turned <laughs> off completely. So it's it's almost like an either or type of thing for me. 
Gotcha. So this is, I think you would probably enjoy this being that I would say 80% of the vocals are clean vocals and then it's, it's mixed in with, with the growls. So, um, it's, it's a little bit more leaning towards the side of clean vocals. Um, this feels to me, like I said, it sounds like a lot like in flames. It almost sounds to me more of what I thought in flames would have evolved into in the early two thousands rather than what the direction they went. Um, so if if that makes sense to you, then that that's pretty cool. The only outlier um, that I really don't like on this album, there's one track, and it's not that I don't like the track itself. I just feel like the placement is terrible. They did a cover of Beat It by Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> and it's track eight on an 11-track album. So, track eight? Yeah, it just it's it's so randomly slotted in there. It does not make sense with the vibe of the album, and it just feels like it should be a bonus track at the end. I don't know why it's there. It's like you know they're an Italian band. I don't know how popular that that release was there. I know I know they're a pretty big band in in the scene as far as like people feel like they're an underrated band, but. I don't know the the you know effect that maybe that track had in in other countries where people said like this is awesome or something but when I listen to it and I'm listening to the album as a whole it all it does is disrupt the flow. <laughs> <laughs> so if that had been stuck at the end it just would have made a lot more sense but yeah, you could just shut it off. <laughs> I skip it every time. I haven't listened. I'll be honest. I haven't listened to this album in a few years, um, but I've had it probably, I think, probably about a year after it came out. And um, it just, i that's one track I always skipped. I remember in the car, it was just like, skip. <laughs> so, I, so I have songs like that, too. Yeah. Um, I just feel like this is one of those bands that was kind of criminally overlooked. And then by the time that, that maybe they could have taken off and, and people really started hearing what they, they were playing, because it did cross over, you know, to other countries for an Italian band, you know, that's, that's pretty cool. Like to, to be able to kind of get that crossover appeal, but it was too late. So they had already broken up in around 2010, 2011, and they really kind of started getting that, that more, you know, appeal like uh, wide stream appeal like in 2012, 2013. So it's it's too little, too late. Um, so the the highlights on the album, uh, the first track, uh, "Flies and Lies," it's really cool. "Rolling Chances," um, "Tears of Sorrow," and for me, that the biggest one, like the the one I liked the most, was "Rolling Chances." I thought that was really nice, like fast paced yet kind of groovy. Like it had that that uh, almost like Pantera ish groove to it, which was cool. Um, I wouldn't say like the same genre by any means, but like you know what I mean when I say a Pantera groove. Um, and if you enjoyed this album, definitely check out In Flames and Soil Work, like I mentioned. Uh, and the first album was, was you know, not bad. It's just a little different. Uh, Tales of Sadness, which I think is the worst name for an album. It's just, 
Tales of Sadness, it's like so emo, but <laughs> <laughs> you know it's funny. You, you've been you've been talking about this band this, this whole time, and and some of the things that you've said mm-hmm. immediately give me references to songs. Like you kept saying Italian band, and mm-hmm. I kept thinking Bruce Dickinson's "I'm in a band with an Italian drummer." Um, <laughs> you you said something about uh, right now Tales of Sadness, and the first thing I thought of was Sea of Madness from Iron Maiden. Yeah. Um, and then there was something else you said, and I'm like, this is just crazy how certain things you said throughout this entire segment, it reminded me of songs yeah. from, from different bands. So it's kind of weird, but that's the way my mind works, you know. My wife will say something, and my kids will tell you, actually, uh, I they'll say something to me, and it, it it's a, a lyric from a song, and I will start singing that song, and yeah. they're just like, you are so weird, daddy. You know, but too bad. That's the way I am. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, yeah, I got to check that out because I'm pretty sure the things that you're going to talk about, well, two to three bands that you're going to talk about, I've, I've no clue who they are. So I'm going to uh, definitely take a listen to it on my way to work in the morning or on the way home, like I always do. Uh, but that's cool. I, I will definitely check it out. Um, so my first band that I'm going to pick today um, I'm going to go ahead and go with one that you may you said you may have heard but you didn't really catch and that is uh, Denner Sherman with Satan's Tomb it was an EP that came out in 2015 and it was released on Metal Blade Records and it was recorded uh, all over the place really uh, it was recorded in Copenhagen uh, Denmark it was recorded in Sydney. Encinitas, California, and Denver, Colorado. So many of you out there will know who Michael Denner and Hank Sherman are. They are the guitar players from the original Merciful Fate. And throughout the years, um, many many of you may or may not know the story. So if you're if you're kind of new to metal and Merciful Fate and that kind of music, um, let me give you a quick overview. Um, Merciful Fate, 1982, metal band from Denmark, big influence on Metallica. They released two original albums, uh, and then they they broke up when King Diamond, the lead singer, wanted to do his own thing, and he had a basically a falling out with Hank Sherman. Their falling out lasted, ooh, was it uh, 1999? Or no, 1992, lasted about five, six years or so. Um, they got back together. They released a few more albums throughout the 90s, and then they kind of broke up. And then uh, they, they've they been back and forth together over the years. But anyway, the bottom line is that Hank Sherman and King Diamond had this really weird relationship. Michael Denner and King Diamond had this really weird relationship. Michael Denner actually went with King Diamond to the King Diamond band. But now... The, the latest Merciful Fate does not include Michael Denner, which is kind of weird because Denner and Sherman have been working together doing the Satan's Tomb thing. So that's kind of uh, a weird dynamic of what's going on right now. I don't know where the, where the problem lies, if it's between Michael and King or Michael and Hank or what. But anyway, this was the, was the debut EP of Denner, Sherman, uh, Satan's Tomb came out in 2015. I think I said that already. Um, essentially, this is like listening to Merciful Fate 
if they would have thrown King Diamond out and gotten a new singer, or if King Diamond would have left and they got a new singer, sort of like how Judas Priest got a new singer with Bla- uh, Blaze, with with Ripper Owens, and how Iron Maiden got a new singer with Blaze Bailey. Um, it's it works, but at the same time, it almost feels like they're they're copying their own thing, and I like it. And at the same time, it's kind of weird to me. So I'll put it this way. The album is a cornucopia of different metal styles. You know, it has some thrash. It has melodic death metal. It has straight heavy metal. It it has all these different things, you know, all thrown into one four-song EP. But like I said, in reality, it's just a bastard child of Merciful Fate. Uh, Even the singer, whose name is Sean Peck, uses a falsetto from time to time, but his voice is kind of naturally deeper than King Diamond's. So it really, when he goes to the falsetto, he can't get as high as King Diamond. So it's kind of, it's just kind of weird. Almost like he's trying too hard. Um, so in that regards, he suffers the same fate as Ripper Owens and Blaze Bailey as singers who followed these really great bands only to come up a little short. That being said, the songs on this EP are really, really good. Um, I really like uh, the song Satan's Tomb. I like War Witch. Um, it's, they, they've got some really cool aspects to them. The only thing is that you, since you know who it is, since you know it's Hank Sherman, since you know it's Michael Denner, you almost are expecting um, King Diamond to kind of walk in and take over the vocals somewhere in the middle of the song. I mean, the drummer is even Snowy Shaw, who played with King Diamond. So there's so many connections there. So it's it's unfortunate in that regards that it, it's almost like a Merciful Fate clone, but at the same time, it does stand alone. It does sound really good. The songs are very good, and I I think you should go out there and give it a chance. They actually did release a full length EP a couple uh, like a year later, um, so I may look into reviewing that at, at another point. But this, as good as it is, there's a little bit about it that says, eh, you know, this is Merciful Fate. Like little bastard son. <laughs> well, I'll definitely check that out. I mean, I I'm a big fan of of Merciful Fade. It, it it you know it took a long time for me to get into them, but uh, I you know I've really grown to to like them a lot. So I'll definitely check that one out. I I wasn't even aware that the album existed because so. you because you like. Merciful Fate now, mm-hmm. and you didn't like the falsetto type vocals. This actually, um, I think you would probably like a little bit more because of the fact that the vo- the vocals don't go as high, mm-hmm. and it's and it's not as it's not like uh, as in your face as King Diamond uh, in his solo stuff. Gotcha. You know, and and like I said, you know, like King, when King Diamond does the low growl stuff, it almost like he's forcing himself to go that low in the register. Where this guy actually has a naturally deeper tone. Gotcha. So, so there's, and and the one thing I I I don't get about these like like 
this is the same thing that Bla- happened to Blaze. Not so much with Ripper, but Blaze. Like I don't know if it's the it's the, the the vocal style that they have when they go into the studio that they they record very dry or something. But that that's that's the feeling I get. Like Blaze Bailey's vocals always seemed like they were a little dry. Um, like he he didn't really like extend his 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 notes. Um, you know, like like when when someone you know, like rings out a note, he never really did that. He was kind of just like cut and dry with the with the words to me. Um, and and this Sean Peck is a little similar to that. It's just very. I'm singing the words. I'm not singing the words or anything like that. He's just. <laughs> Singing the words, <laughs> you know, so right? he wasn't on Broadway. <laughs> no, he wasn't on Broadway. But you know what I mean. Like, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. It's like some, you know, a good singers will let us let a a, a, a a syllable or a word ring out in their in their tone, and some of them are just like they just cut it off, and yes. these seem like they get cut off. Gotcha. Yeah, they're. You know, there's a lot of vocalists out there that are very good, but then there's very few that are just great. And that there is a difference. You know, when you hear, like, Iron Maiden with, with Blaze, and then you hear it with Bruce Dickinson, and there's just something magical about the way he sings. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, absolutely. All right, so my second pick for this one is a band I've mentioned before, but I think a lot of people still have not really heard of them um and it's one that i definitely think you should check out and that's beast in black and i picked their first album berserker um they're from helsinki finland um but they have members from all over the world including the the lead singer is from greece so there's a you know there's a lot of variety in their band and they bring in a lot of different uh um you know perceptions i guess um so in a similar vein to dave mustaine um anton cabinan was thrown out of of uh battle beast a band that he was a original member of and uh they there's kind of conflicting information there's some that says like he left the band and then but basically it boils down to they had some pretty big disagreements and they they asked him to leave so um, he decided to uh, form his own band under the pretense of, of being even better than his previous band and kind of bringing in more melodic elements and some solos and stuff like that that were kind of left out. So there is a similar sound, but um, I, I do feel a bit like this. there's a bit more to Beast in Black. Um, and the singer, Yanis uh, Papadopoulos, um, he has an incredible high range, extremely clear, clean vocals, uh, but he also can add a, a rasp to his, his vocals, kind of giving it more of an edge. And then he, in songs like on this album, there's a track called Zod the Immortal. He does a straight up growl and it's fantastic. And he's just got a, amazing vocal ability. Um, the album is primarily power metal, but it's got some arena rock elements and some heavy synth. Um, and I, like I said, there's there's growling, there's there's some other aspects to it. So it's not it's not like a death metal album or by any means, but he's you know like he he explores his vocal range. I would say um, much of the lyrical content is based on dark fantasy. Um, 
kind of more like there's a book called Berserk that they based a lot of it on. And um, it's it's more of like a, you know, you've seen fantasy movies like The Hobbit, but I would say like darker aspects of that kind of stuff. Uh, so the songs, I would say, like I said, are a bit more comprehensive. Um, there's really great solos. Um, I would say they're, they're more unique and memorable than the stuff that I've heard off of Battle Beast. And to me, the highlights would be Beast in Black, the first track, Blind and Frozen, and Zod the Immortal, which I mentioned earlier. Uh, the biggest highlight to me was Blind and Frozen, which I was really surprised because like the, the first track, uh, Beast in Black, was a lot heavier, and this was a bit more synthy, but there's you can hear him ringing out like you you kind of mentioned like some vocalists will allow a note to just ring out and in the, the the first note that you hear off of the off of this track is very much in the vein of like Rob Halford where he just belts out this high pitched you know just perfectly in tune note and it just you know he's got that vibrato on it and it just it's awesome um, so one other thing is that uh, Yanis has this vocal or these vocals that sometimes he can sound very feminine and then in the next note he'll sound extremely masculine and edgy like in, in his voice and it's just he just switches on a dime and it's really incredible um, for even just for that aspect it's worth checking out just to hear this guy's vocal ability um, if you enjoyed this album, um, the band has released a second album from Hell With Love, which I really enjoy as well. Um, and then they have a new album coming out this year. They've already released the first single, Moonlight Rendezvous, and it's got a really cool video. It's very Blade Runner-esque. So if you've, if you've seen Blade Runner, you kind of know it's, it's in the same vein. And if you want to check out Battle Beast, the band that uh, uh, Anton Kavanen came from, um, their third album would be in the most similar vein as, as this band. Uh, it was his last with the band. So uh, it has some similar elements. That's cool. I like uh, Beast in Black. They, um, when the first time you turned me on to them, I thought I was listening to a female sing because, uh, <laughs> you, you sent me, you didn't even send me Beast in Black. You sent me over something from Giannis and he was doing the Frozen song. Yeah. And I'm like, what the hell? And I'm watching the video and I'm like, that's coming out of him. And I was, so his voice is amazing. It really you know? is. He's got an incredible voice, and it does, you know, span the gamut in the range. I mean, but yeah, there are times where he sounds very, you know, female-ish, and other times where he comes out and he, he growls it together. So it's a it's a pretty cool range that he's got, and it, it's definitely uh, some really cool stuff that they play. Um, it, it's definitely, and for me, I like the power metal stuff that they do. So it's it's a it's really cool. Um, yeah, and I really like the new track they released too. So definitely check that one out. Yeah, I got I got to listen to more of them. That's for sure. I, I do enjoy them a lot. All right, so you know I, I was looking at my notes and 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 uh, seeing that you know this this Denner Sherman thing that I said before it was kind of semi. I was trying to put a positive spin on it, and there was a lot of negativity about it. And I was not trying to make it seem like it was so negative, but. Um, you know, 
it for me it is what it is. I think everyone should have their own opinion on it and they should listen to it. But I'm going to bring something out now that I think is pretty cool. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of positivity on this one. <laughs> uh, and then the last one I'm going to do is going to have a lot of positive stuff. This uh, next album I'm going to talk about is the Dublin Death Patrol and their debut CD or album or whatever you want to call it, DDP for Life. You know, and I saw that and I'm like, why are they talking about Diamond Dallas Page? But <laughs> then, I, then I realized, oh, it's Dublin Death Patrol. And then I'm like, why is it Dublin? And then I realized there's a Dublin a city uh, outside of San Francisco that's called Dublin, California. So that's where they're from, or some of them at least. Anyway, um, so if you get, if you've, just notice what I'm mentioning. This is a, a Bay Area band, a San Francisco band. These are guys that um, are from the Bay Area thrash scene. And if you, anyone has heard about this band before, they know who's in the band. Chuck Billy is the basically the the mastermind behind this. Chuck Billy of Testament fame. Um, Chuck Billy and Steve Souza are the two vocalists for this band. Um, the band... Uh, consists of the following people, and there's a lot. <laughs> Phil Demel from Machine Head Violence fame, uh, Greg Bustamante, uh, and Andy Billy, Chuck's brother. All three of them play guitars on the album. Uh, Willie Lang from Laz Rocket, uh, Eddie Billy, Chuck's brother, and John Souza, Steve's brother, are all on bass. Uh, Danny Cunningham and John Hartsnick and someone named Troy Lucetta, which many people might know from Tesla, and they're all on drums. So I don't know where they get all these people on stage at, at, from time to time, but they have had 11 people at one point performing at one time. So um, they're not all on stage at the same time. I'm just kind of kidding. They do have a lot of people from time to time. They're kind of like... Um, spastic children was with metallica every time they would come back home they would play these these little weird you know one-off shows and this is what this band is and they, and they actually were able to put together some original music along with some covers it's a really cool album um they briefly toured upon this release but they mostly stick around to the, to the bay area san francisco play local gigs and whoever's in town that night they try to uh to get them all together and to get as many people from the original album together as possible um this album's got some really 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 good guitar work on it um it's got a ton of cool riffs it's got a ton of great lead guitar work on it i mean it it's it's hard to really describe because these guitar players are not, other than Phil Demel, really none of them basically made it. Um, they're all kind of local, but um, they're good. I mean, there's always musicians that don't make it that are really good, and all these guys are really good. Um, the album, I mean, if you like thrash metal, this is not even that hard a thrash album so much like for instance if anyone knows and i'll probably mention them another time the band hatred which is also with steve souza and his sons that one is like pure thrash beginning to end and it's kind of more modernish thrash where this one's kind of like got the mix of thrash with some straightforward metal little bit of uh deathiness from time to time because of of chuck billy and, and the way he likes to do his vocals so there's there's that element to it so this has got a lot of eclecticness to it uh especially with the original songs they're very melodic they're very well done but for me 
the highlights on this album are the covers. It's 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 weird to say. I, mean, I would agree. Have, I've yeah, heard the album. Have, yeah, yeah. They do have really good song in um, Trail of the Executioner, which is towards the end of the album. Uh, I like that. Then they also have, I think, was it Rip, Rest in Peace, is one of the songs that, I think that's the song that starts the album. So there, there's, there's some good stuff, but the, the covers are really what do it for me on this one. They do a killer version of uh, Iron Fist from Motorhead. They do a really cool version of Thin Lizzy's Cold Sweat, and then... To me, the best uh, song on the album, as far as the covers are concerned, uh, is UFOs Lights Out. They do an amazing version of that song. And and I, what I really like about it is that they change the lyrics around a little bit. So instead of saying Lights Out, Lights Out in London, they say Lights Out, Lights Out in Dublin, which I think that's pretty cool that they were able to, to get that put in there like that. So that, to me, is the highlight of the album. But Trail of the Executioner is one of the, one of the better um, original songs on the album. And what I like about that one is you see the, 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 the title. It says Trail of the Executioner. If you listen to the song and, and just the music part of it and you hear and you see the title, it kind of gives you a vibe almost westernish and almost like riding a horse and someone who's like racing across the 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 badlands on a horse really, really fast. And it's got that gallop to it. The song has the gallop and it's just, it, it, it may, it, it's a very, the, just the, just the guitar work and the, the drum work. It gives you that sense. It gives you a picture in your mind that it, it that, that I just described. I don't know. You got to hear it to really understand what I'm talking about, but it's a really cool song. Um, and the, the, the guitar solos that trade on and off, you know, from the middle to the end of the song, really, really cool. So there's a lot of good guitar work on the, on the song as well. This is not Testament. This is not Exodus. Um, but there's enough of those those little elements sprinkled throughout that keeps their fans listening to the songs and still enjoy it for something completely different. So, and another cool thing about this album is that it ends with um, some some central Pomo Indian songs and chants. Uh, if anyone knows Chuck Billy is Native American, he's part of the central Pomo Indian tribe. Um, that's his, that's his mother's side. His uh, uh, no, his, that's his dad's side. Excuse me. His mother's uh, was Mexican. So um, he he has a lot of Native American um, aspects to his songwriting and to to you know, to, to his style. So he was able to put that on, on this album. And I thought that was a pretty cool touch, you know, being able to do something like that. So it doesn't interfere with like his main band in Testament. Yeah, it's pretty good. I, I remember liking the second half of the album more than the first half, um, which was mostly the covers and that trail of the executioner song is, is pretty good. Um, I, I, I always thought it was funny. Like they have a track called DDP for life. Then Sid vicious, and, and it was like, oh, is this a wrestling album? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, you, you would think so right off the bat, but it's it's not. <laughs> All right, so that uh, brings me to my third and final pick of the night, and that is uh, Nosferatu by a band called Bloodbound. Um, this was their first album. Uh, in 2005 uh, this was one of two albums with the singer urban breed they've gone through three singers uh, total 
but he's definitely my favorite of the three. Um, while it is a power metal album, uh, you can definitely hear some influences from the new wave of British heavy metal, especially Iron Maiden, um, especially in the, the song structure and solos. So it is, it is kind of influenced by that time period. And that's, I think that what really drew me to this band, um, the title song Nosferatu, I would say, has some pretty significant song structure similarities to Hallowed Be Thy Name. Um, it's not the same song. I wouldn't put it quite on the same level by any means, but at the same time, uh, if you listen to it, I think you you will kind of notice that. Um, Urban Breed has been with a couple other bands uh, and sings kind of in this power metal style, but he he has a rasp to his voice that is a little bit different than the typical power metal singer. And I, I just really enjoyed his vocals. Um, the choruses are really catchy and there's some like really very singable melodies, which I think is another thing they have in common with, with Iron Maiden. Um, one of, like I said, one of only two non consecutive albums with the singer. Uh, basically they had him on the first album. Then they went to a, a singer named Christian and Andron and then went back to Urban Breed because uh, he had left the band. He wanted to work on a different project, and then they asked him to come back for the third album. And then by that point, I think they had they had finally found a singer that you know meshed with him a little bit better, and and went on you know from there. And what's interesting is Christian Andron was the uh, replacement singer in this band for for uh, Urban Breed, and then for they were both in the band Tad Morose where urban breed was the second singer of the replacement for Christian Andron. So it's, it's funny that they kind of each replaced each other in two different bands. Um, so as a note on the third album, even though I'm not really talking about that one, um, it's called Tabula Rasa and it has again, the same singer. Um, it incorporates some elements of metalcore into this kind of power metal new wave of British heavy metal sound, which is really interesting. And it's the only album in the catalog that I noticed this in. So it, this would be one to check out as well. But uh, again, focusing more on this album, um, the highlights would be into the dark, which is the first track Nosferatu metal monster uh, and for the King and on the battlefield. And I, I had a hard time finding a track I would, even considered to be like the weakest track. I really enjoyed the whole album. Um, the biggest highlight for no, for the album is Nosferatu, the, the title track. I really, really love this, this song and it shows a really dynamic range, a lot of ability uh, for the singer. And um, it's a catchy and memorable song. I just kind of keep singing it in my head because I've heard this album couple years ago it kind of came back into my my attention and um in this last month i've kind of been listening to it a lot so it's it's kind of the catalyst of what made me think of this this topic because this is a band bloodbound that has gone through a lot of changes and when that happens sometimes 
fans don't stick around or it doesn't it doesn't kind of stick and they've they've had the same singer uh, the current guy for for years now um but the, in that early career like it's it's sometimes hard to you know grab onto a band when they've gone through lots of changes with with singers and you know etc the you know those those key members of the band um but if you d- if you like this album definitely check out um Tabula Rasa, like I said, and then you'll probably enjoy the entire catalog. The second album is really good with uh, Christian Andren. He has a very different voice than than either guy, um, so there's there's some variety there. But but as a whole, I would say their catalog is really good. Cool, I gotta check that out. I I, I definitely want to listen to stuff because it, it, just the way you're describing it just it, uh, makes me it, I'm interested because I know what you like. And I know what you listen to, so I definitely want to mm. see what it is that you're suggesting the rest of us listen to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, okay. My last pick. Um, some of you out there might know it. Like, just kind of, probably more of you may know this than than Dublin Death Patrol. But this is a, a band that actually had a, a little bit of a career um, here in the States. Um this is a band called Saigon Kick. Uh, many of you may know Saigon Kick. They had a, they had a, a, I don't know if it was gold or platinum. I think it was a gold single for Love Is on the Way from their second album. But this is what I'm going to talk about is their their first album, their debut. Came out in February of 1991. It's a self titled album. It's released on Third Stone Atlantic Records. Third Stone was a subsidiary of Atlantic Records. It was started by actor Michael Douglas and. He oh, really? actually, yeah, he <laughs> actually saw the band um, along with Jason Flom, who was with Atlantic Records, um, and they saw this band. They said, "We need to sign these guys," and so um, they called up Mike Wagner, who's of Dokken fame and some other bands from the eighties, eighties metal, and they said, "Hey, can you do this band?" And he, he said, "Yeah," and they flew him out to California. And they made um, this album, Saigon Kick, the first the, the debut album. This album is amazing to me. This is their debut album, like I said, and I think it's probably one of the best albums to come out in 1991. It definitely was the beginning of the slew of albums that came out in 1991 that were just amazing. I mean, think about the albums that came out in 91. The Black Album from Metallica, Use Your Illusions from Guns N' Roses. Slave to the Grind from Skid Row, For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge from Van Halen. There was um, Nevermind from Nirvana. You know, uh, Pearl uh, no, Pearl Jam came out in 1990. Um, what was the other one? Um, from Soundgarden, uh, Bad Motorfinger. Uh, I mean, there was just a slew of mm-hmm. albums that came out in 1991. I mean, 99, if you look back on it, 30 years ago, was an amazing year for music. And yes, Nirvana's album kind of changed the landscape for everybody after it came out, but man, what an amazing year that was. And this album was the beginning of it. And, and you know, me living in Miami at the time, um, this band had a lot of buzz, a lot of buzz. And... I had heard about, like, I started going to a, a music business school on Miami Beach, and I would see people wearing, um, you know, 
was it, what was the shirt called? Uh, F Y S M D. I think was was it was it was the the, the logo on the back of the shirt. And it said Saigon Kick on the front on this little, you know, look like army army font, you know, that, that they put on the boxes. And it would say, you know, FYSMD. And I'm like, what the hell is FYSMD? And then I figured it out. It was, fuck you, suck my dick. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you know? And that was like their motto. <laughs> you know, so everybody's wearing these shirts that say FYSMD on it. What the hell is that? And they actually had a song called "Fuck You Suck My Dick" that they would play at the end of their local sh- end of their shows. Now, mind you, they were a local band, so they can get away with that. But as a national act, uh, if I'm not mistaken, when I saw them open or saw them do their own headline show after they came back from doing their their uh, their uh, opening act tour, I guess you put it that way, um, they played their local show in Miami. They played that song but the next time i saw them when they were an opener they did not play that song so it is uh and they can pack a house back, back in miami i mean i think i went to see them in a place that held two thousand people and i think they had there was probably three thousand people in that place it was insane how many people were in that in that that concert venue it was the button south in hollandale and man there was a lot i mean i had never seen it that packed you could barely move that night but Saigon Kick rocked the house I mean to be in a nice small place like that to see a band that you know just made it was pretty cool but anyway going back to this album this album to me I I can't really pick the the one band that they sound like but this is an album where I would say for for lack of a better comparison the Beatles meet Def Leppard and the reason I picked Def Leppard is because I know Def Leppard does a really good job with their background vocals uh, and the Beatles obviously do a lot of good, uh, do a good job, or did a good job with their harmony vocals, and that's what this album and that's what this group does so well. The harmony vocals between Matt Kramer, the vocalist, and Jason Beeler, the guitar player, they have m- matching voices, and then just to put that all together to do the background vocals that they do on this album is outstanding. Uh, I mean, the vocals on this album soar. It is so cool what they do, and. The riffs on this album are insanely good. I mean, there's just the guitar sound is so cool that it, it pops off the record. I mean, you put that CD in, or you put the well, I don't think they had a record uh, at the time, but you put that CD in and it just the, the guitars just pop off of it. I mean, Michael Wagner did a great job on this, very raw, very in your face, and with with the the eclecticness of all these songs. You have New World, which is the first track in the album, and it's kind of got this tribalism. I kind of compared it a little bit to the first song on the new Iron Maiden album, Sinjutsu, uh, which is the song Sinjutsu. It's got that tribalistic kind of sound to it. New World is very similar in that regards, but it's it's just so cool. It's so heavy. And then you, to the next song... You know, it's called "What You Say," and it's and they've got those Beatlesque harmonies, and it's a very poppy kind of song. And then you have the song after it called "What Do You Do," which is just full of attitude, because you know the, the, the people are making fun of the singer because he has long hair and he's just getting trying to get back at him and stuff like that. And it, the the songs just go up and down in terms of 
attitude and poppiness and you know grunginess even though grunge didn't really technically exist in the mainstream yet um it's just it, this album is so eclectic then they they even have a song that has a kazoo solo in it and that song is called my life and that just it's an amazing song even with the kazoo solo uh, I really, really suggest that people go out there and either stream it or pick it up somewhere. You know, I just mentioned a bunch of songs on this album, but probably my favorite song, uh, I got two of them, is, is got to be What Do You Do uh, because of all the attitude on it. And then this song called Ugly is, is, it's, it's a really harsh song. And the song comes across as ugly, even though it's a good song. But you you get that vibe on it, and I really really enjoy that song a lot. Um, <clears throat> it's unfortunate that the band really kind of they put together a second album, which was just as good, and then they kind of fell apart because Jason kind of Jason Beeler kind of kind of got a big head, and then Matt and him didn't get along anymore. And Jason said, "Well, you know, screw you. I can do the vocals without you because I sound just like you." And there was you know a ton of ego. He does, but I like Matt's tone better. Matt, because Matt has a lower tone, so it it vibes really well with Jason's voice. Jason's voice yeah. is too high pitched, and as much as I like Jason's voice, they work really well together. But but Jason by itself, doubled, does not sound the same. Yeah, so. it's it was disappointing because you brought this band to my attention, and I really like that first album. The second album, I, I like it not as much. Um, I feel like this was this was an album that was way ahead of its time to come out in 1991 and have the tracks that it does. Like, I, I it it blows my mind that this band didn't get bigger than they did. Absolutely, and part of that had to do with with whatever promotion that they did because I couldn't tell what they were doing around the country mm-hmm. because I lived in Miami, but I knew that they were getting airplay in Miami, you know, and I know that that people were loving them in Miami, but um, around the country, I don't know what they were doing. I knew they came back from a quote unquote triumphant first tour, but to me, it, it would have been more triumphant if they had actually gotten MTV airplay. And I don't think any of these songs, I mean, songs like Colors or Susie could have probably gotten some some good, you know, video airplay if they had put a video out for them. But I don't think they did. So I think that's where they, they fell off. Even a song like, I think they had a song, a video for What You Say. And it, it didn't garner that much, which was surprising. The next album, Because of Love Is On The Way, took off. But... Mm-hmm. Egos gotten away, and then their third album, which was decent, you know, it just didn't have the same thing. And their fourth album just kept going down, and unfortunately, they fell apart after a while. Yeah, the third album, Water, it's not bad. It's but it has some weird stuff on it. It's very experimental. The song Water yeah. itself is weird. It's weird, you, you and know. then they have a they have a track called Fields of Rape, which is I actually like that song. It's a no, it's a good track, but it's like. It's a weird title. It's a weird. Yeah, it's a yeah, weird. It's title. not going to get you any favors, that's for sure. But it's no, a good and, song. It's and a when your when your singles are covers, that's never a good sign. Yes, that you know, uh, you know, they did a cover of Space Oddity, which is a really good cover. But it is. It's too much like the original. Mm-hmm. You know, and 
they actually did a song. So talking about the Beatles, they did a song, a cover of Dear Prudence from the Beatles, and it's amazing. It came out on the Japanese version of this album. Um, it is absolutely stunning the way that their vocals blended and, and they were able to to replicate what the Beatles did. But it it only came out in Japan. I think it was later released as a, as a B side somewhere, and it is just hard to get. Really cool song or really cool version of the song, but again, it's an it's unfortunate. I mean, they've reunited over the, over the years from time to time. They're not the same band. Um, and actually, the bass player had left the band at one point, and uh, this the bass player Chris McLernan joined the band. He was a bass player from a Kiss tribute band, and he joined. Um, and then Phil Verone was the drummer, and Phil Verone went on to to play in Skid Row, if I'm not mistaken, for a long time. Uh, and he's, yeah, he was he was there after um, Sebastian Bach left the band. Yeah, and he's a and he's a, an interesting character. And he if if anyone knows Phil Verone's story, he has a movie slash documentary about himself, and that's really weird. Uh, <laughs> if, if to say the least, <laughs> I have not watched it. Too a lot of people have told me about it, and I it's almost like I don't want to watch it. <laughs> gotcha wow yeah i mean it's one of those things where you know it talks about his drug abuse and he went into porn for a while and then he uh you know he was i think naked several times throughout the documentary you know full-fledged i mean he's he's uh apparently he's uh equivalent to tommy lee in, in uh, below the belt so that that tells you everything you need to know right there <laughs> interesting um so from what i understand they are kind of touring Time, uh, you know, on and off um, with Matt Kramer and Jason Beeler and, uh, you know, some of the other guys. So I don't know. It would be if like if they were to, to you know, tour here, I would definitely would want to go see I w- them. I would love to see them. I mean, that's great if they're together again. I mean, like I said, they reunited a few times over the years. The last mm-hmm. time that I saw them. Uh, as far as far as the reunion was concerned, was I think the last Monsters of Rock cruise, they were doing the. Um, the show that happens before the cruise takes off that's on land mm-hmm. um i think they did that 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 show uh, before the cruise left and i hadn't heard anything since then but i do know that jason released that really weird name oddly named album jason you know or beeler and whatever he looks like a like a oh yeah the one i talked about actually yeah um, you mentioned it on the show a long time it ago it was um Beeler, Jason Beeler and the Baron Von Bielski yes, Orchestra. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so so he's And he's, it was a pretty good album. Like I actually like that. It wasn't it wasn't Saigon Kick. No. It was it still pretty Saigon. cool. Yeah. It is it is very cool. But that's the last thing I know that he did and he and and he had some uh association with was his name Jason McMasters from uh dangerous toys so there's something there but if they're back together if he's back together with matt kramer that'd be awesome because i love second kick and i would love for them to come here i mean i I would be at that show in a heartbeat absolutely all right well there's our six albums from bands you haven't heard of or heard from or heard in general and albums that we think you should listen to from them all right, so one more time, our six albums that we, we chose today were Saigon Kick with their debut album, Saigon Kick, uh, DDP for Life by uh, Dublin Death Patrol, Denner Sherman with Satan's Tomb, 
Uh, Rain Time with Flies and Lies. Beast in Black with their debut album Berserker. And Bloodbound with their debut album Nosferatu. Awesome. I definitely think we need to we need to give those another listen to. Uh, I will definitely be listening to yours. All right, so that brings us to our big four for tonight. And tonight we're doing the big four heavy metal bassists. Um, we did the big four heavy metal drummers way back when. Um, so this time we're doing bassists and. I know you have a different slew of bass players than I do, but I have a feeling we might have one, maybe two, that cross over. We will see. I went last time. Oh no, uh, yeah, the last time we did a big four, I went first, so it's your turn to go first. Okay. My number four is Steve DiGiorgio, or as you call him, Steve DiGregorio, or Steve DiGiorno. <laughs> Uh, he is one of my favorite bass players uh, He's played in Death, Testament, Control Denied, Iced Earth, Sadus, Obituary And about 20 other bands um, He's one of those guys that's very prolific and well-loved in the industry uh, But the reason I have him at number 4 rather than a higher slot is While he is an amazing player and he has his own style, etc., he never quite has that impact on a band that some of these other players do because he doesn't have a very long tenure with them. Uh, the exception now kind of being Testament, where he's played with them for several albums and several years. Uh, so he's kind of found a home in that way. Uh, but he, he even when he was with Death, he played lots of albums, but he was in and out in the band. Um, you know, he was good friends with them. And, and so anytime they needed a bass player, he was, he would drop in, but it was just like, he's just one of those guys that just loves to play and loves to play a lot of variety. He even plays jazz and, and some, some other stuff too. So, um, amazing player and definitely worth listening to a lot of his stuff. My number three is Linus Klausenitzer. Um, he's a name you might not know. Um, but he is the bassist or former bassist for Obscura, uh, Alkaloid, and the current bassist for a band called Obsidious. So Obsidious was some of the guys that were in Obscura. They left to form their own project, and it's kind of in the same vein of what they were doing before, but uh, clean vocals instead of death growls, and it's all on good terms. They're all still friends, just doing some different stuff. Um, the reason I picked him is when I saw him live, um, I saw him, uh, let's see, it was around 2012, 2014, somewhere between then. And, uh, they were in Houston and I, I was blown away by his playing and then he released, or he was on two of Obscure's albums following that. And so when he, when we saw him, uh, a friend and I went to the show, um, it was a, a little shocking because the bass player that they had uh, before, uh, um, I'm trying to remember his his name, um, Joran Paul Thessaling, I think his name. Um, so he had left the band and, Anytime that happens when, when there there's a band that's so tight and has such a sound as Obscura, it's a little scary to see a new member and um, 
when this guy started playing, I was just blown away, amazed. I've watched a lot of his stuff. He does tutorials. Um, his style of playing is so impressive. He brings this kind of jazzy element into it, and uh, it's it just blows my mind. So um, he has is one that has stuck with me, and I've seen him play with the band uh, live, and just could not stop watching the way he was playing, which was awesome. Uh, my number two is Geezer Butler from Black Sabbath. Um, in the grand scheme of things, it's hard not to pick a guy like Geezer because he has had such an impact on the genre. Um, those first six albums from from uh, Black Sabbath have some of the most amazing riffs, but there's a there's an aspect of to the music that is even further beyond that is the rhythm section is so amazing. He and Bill were Bill Ward worked so well together. Uh, they played off of everything that Tony Iommi wrote and there was a magical chemistry with that band and his playing has influenced so many other musicians that it's hard not to pick somebody like him. I've, I've even picked up his solo albums because I liked his, his playing so much. And then he had a unique kind of perspective where he was, you know, writing the lyrics of the songs and his style mixing, I mean, his playing mixing with that kind of songwriting process, I always thought was really interesting. So he's definitely my number two. And my number one is from my, you know, it's hard to say because sometimes they're, they're my favorite band sometimes. And, and I think, I think they've grown more as my favorite band over time because um, well, they're still around versus like say death. Um, and that's Steve Harris from Iron Maiden. Uh, Steve, I mean, has such a recognizable sound. He is an amazing musician. Um, his songwriting ability is still great to this day. We've talked about, uh, Sunjutsu and the, the tracks that he wrote on there were amazing. Um, but he created that Iron Maiden gallop and that's something that, uh, is very impactful and influential on their sound. And he is, I mean, when it comes down to it, he is Iron Maiden. You know, all the other guys that, that are in the band, they are Iron Maiden as well. But there is something about the sound of the band that is so intrinsic to who he is as a musician that he has made this sound. And for that, you know, them being, you know, my favorite band, I, I have to pick Steve Harris. Hey, you can't go wrong picking Steve Harris, let me tell you. <laughs> There's just no way to go wrong picking Steve Harris. Uh, so, with that being said, we do have two people that cross over. Okay. Uh, and so, um, very surprised, but at the same time, not surprised at all. So, my number four bass player or heavy metal bassist is Joey DeMeo from Manowar. And Joey DeMeo, he is, it, it's hard to say. So if, if somebody is really good at something, right, and you go up to them and say, hey, listen, what do you, what do you have to do to be this good, right? And that person tells you everything you're supposed to do and he gives you the 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 the, the uh, framework of how to do it right 
and you can, you know, he ends it with, you could be just like me. Is that guy an arrogant asshole? Is he egotistical? Because the reason I, I, I bring up that kind of scenario is that Joey has this thing about Sonics and he won't play a certain venue if the Sonics don't sound right to him. He's created this um, PA system that is supposed to be, be supposed to be sonically perfect, but he will only use it in certain places because if the you know if there's a balcony, he doesn't want the balcony to be sold because people are going to sit up there and they're not going to be able to hear it the correct way. So there's an there's a there's a an a inborn arrogance but he's not really wanting to be arrogant about it because it's just that's his choice so it's really weird but he is amazing and when i when when i first heard him first album from man of war battle hymns he did william's tale on piccolo bass and he did it about a hundred times faster than the way it's supposed to be done. <laughs> uh, it is amazing how fast he plays it. It's amazing how precise he plays it. Um, it is an absolutely amazing version of that of that piece of classical music. And I heard that for the first time, and I was absolutely mind blown. And that just added to my my joy of being being a bass player. Although I never became a very accomplished bass player, but that was one of those things. I was like, "Oh my god, this is so awesome!" And so he takes my number four. And the reason I said everything else I said about him is because there is a little bit of a, a air of arrogance to him, um, and and how he feels about Man of War that you almost think the guy is an asshole. But it's almost. But part of it is also very very genuine. And it's just a really weird, um, what I call it, dichotomy between the two. That it's hard to really grasp which one is more prevalent, the asshole or the nice, genuine guy. So, but that's Joey DeMeo, number four from, from Man of War. Number three, is, for me, is your number four. Steve DiGiorno. <laughs> Steve DiGiorno. Uh, I, wow. I make so much fun of his name. Steve DiGiorgio, or DiGiorgio, um, really, really great bass player. I mean, you know, plays a fretless bass, and he can just play so many different styles, but he kind of wants to, his personal um, thing to play is, is this just this extreme heavy metal um and that's and that's he's he's just absolutely awesome you know and 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 it's almost like what is it um effortless and it really is that's a good way to put it and and if anybody out there has been following the tales of megadeth this past year there's a good chance that someone named steve DiGiorgio will be playing bass on a new megadeth album but that's just a rumor. So, um, number two for me is a bass player that many people are familiar with, um, even more so now. But they were familiar with him before he was in the band that he's in now. Um, Rob Trujillo from Metallica. Um, 
I think he's an absolutely amazing bass player. I thought he was an absolutely amazing bass player before he was in Metallica. I knew of him when he was in Suicidal Tendencies, and I thought that you know that was just that was his gig. That was his that was him. You know, he fit that band so well. But he proved that he's more than just that band. Um, by out, going out there and playing with Black Label Society, he went out there and played with Ozzy. Um, so he is very, very good. He's amazing. Um, he brings back the finger playing to Metallica that was not there during the Jason Newsted years. And, I mean, he may or may not have limited himself by being in Metallica, but at the same time, he still gets to show off a little bit um, when he's out there on stage with them. <clears throat> I think one thing interesting about Rob, too, is that he's kind of broken into that um, that shell that uh, James and Lars have kind of put up where they are the guys, you know, because um, he's actually, you know, respected in in a different way and i hate to say that jason wasn't respected but he he really wasn't he had a rough go of it in that band you know yeah he did but but um i think he you know still treasures that time etc and regardless but uh rob has kind of broken into it to where they listen to his ideas and he is kind of more of a member of the band which is which is really good, you know. It, he's he's brought some harmony to those four guys. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the biggest thing is that they learned through the therapy sessions that everyone got to see on some kind of monster that they needed to accept, they needed to grieve for Cliff's death, and they needed to accept the fact that whoever's playing bass for them, they can't treat them that way. Yeah, you know, and. There are so many different circumstantial things that went on with, with James and Jason and the reason why Jason left. No need to get into him here. But the fact that Rob is in there, yeah, he has definitely been been able to break that. But he still knows his role. He's been able mm-hmm. to break through to James and to Lars, but he still knows his role. He still kind of sits back a little bit sometimes. But, you know, he does bring a, a an element of um, cohesion to the, to, the, to the band. And that's a really cool thing. All right, and my number one bass heavy metal bass player or heavy metal bassist is the same as your number one, Steve Harris from Iron Maiden. It, it's it's hard to put together any lists of bass players or any list of bass players and not include Steve Harris as a number one or number two. Geezer in your list absolutely belongs in there. I just felt that these other three were were, were more. I mean, not more important, but more better bass players. Although Geezer's absolutely amazing. Um, Steve, on the other hand, when you think about everything he's accomplished, he created Iron Maiden. It was his idea from scratch. He, He has been the driving force behind that band for over 40 years. Almost, almost 50. We're talking about 40. It started in 75. That was his idea. So that's, We're going on, what, 46 years, right? Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, you think about that. Iron Maiden started in 1975. And uh, it's not the same Iron Maiden that we know now, obviously. But, you know, 
five years later, they have a record contract and, you know, they're moving along and they become what they've become today. But Steve has always been the number one driving force behind it. They call him the boss for a reason. It is Steve. This last album, he's the one who held on to the to the master files until it was time to get everything out there in the open for the Senjutsu album. He held on to them for two years or almost two years. So it tells you a lot. For the most part, Rod Smallwood listens to Steve. Look at it that way. You know, if Steve doesn't go along with it, Steve's not doing it. Rod's not, you know, Rod can sit there and try and do whatever he wants, but Steve's like, no, no is it. So, um, and then, so you think about just that part of it as a, as a, as a creator, a creative outlet. Then he's the bass player who wrote 90% of the songs at first. And all those songs that he wrote and all the songs that he still writes and the epics that he comes up with. I mean, those last three songs in Shinjutsu average 10 minutes or more each. You know, and he had another. And they're good. Yeah. And he had another long song earlier in the album. So he's probably got four songs on there that, that add up to 40 minutes worth of music. And it's just amazing that this continues to come out of him at the prolific rate that it does. Mm-hmm. And that's the songwriting aspect. So forget, you know, everyone forgets about the songwriting. Everyone forgets about that he's the leader of the band. Everyone forgets about the fact that that he is the man who created this whole dynasty, if you would look at it that way. And then you listen to the records and you just absolutely know who is playing and where that sound is coming from. I mean, it's amazing. He says he only plays with two fingers. I swear to God, he plays with like 20. Just the, the way that that thing sounds. But he, he plucks, he says he plucks with only two fingers. And I believe it's his middle finger and his ring finger. I could be wrong. If he does play with a third one, it's his index finger. But I mean, just in the way it, it sounds and the way it snaps and the way it plucks the, the strings and how it, how it all just blends together. You know that's Iron Maiden. You know that's Steve Harris. I mean, to me, he's he's by far and away one of the greatest bass players to ever live. Absolutely. Well, peeps, those are our big four heavy metal basses for tonight. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. So let me remind you again, you can find us and all of our previous episodes on your favorite podcast platform. So don't forget to click the subscribe button. That's right. And if you enjoyed what you heard today, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Or send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com. If you use Spotify, be sure to check out our playlist from our greatest hits episodes as well. Make sure to tune into the next episode when we spark up another exciting metal debate. On behalf of Kenneth and myself, stay safe. And remember, always turn it up to 11. See ya. Debating Metal.